know if therapy is going to help your client? You know, do you know some really good therapists that work well with artists? I mean, even that. So, you know, what is it you need more of as a teacher? And go get that. If you're a professional singer, want to know how to turn singing into a career, or simply love to hear stories from singers on the road, then The Working Singer is the podcast for you. I chat with pro singers about how they make a creative living in the music business, lending their talent to stars like Enrique Iglesias, The Killers, Elvis Costello, and more. They share life lessons, business advice, and how they make a living when they're off the road. We'll also discuss vocal health, technique, performance, coaching, and pretty much all things vocal. Elevate your approach to your singing career, get enlightened about what the pros do, and be inspired with new ideas that you can make your own. My name is Jamila Ford, and this is the Working Singer Podcast. Welcome, everybody. I am so excited that you are here. Happy Thanksgiving. We had Thanksgiving a couple of days ago. I know you guys are all in, up, and through, and about those leftovers. We certainly are. Actually, we finished a lot of our leftovers, and there's just two of us. We had a pretty low-key Thanksgiving. Just had a couple of friends over, and it was a really, really nice evening. Um, you know, and sometimes it's just nice to do it that way. I cooked. Um, Dwight did made a dessert, which was really kind of unheard of in this household, <laughs> I have to say. He's been threatening to cook for a long time, and he finally did, and it was very adorable. Um, he And that sounds more condescending than I mean it, but it was very sweet that he um, decided to make this um, pear crumble. And it was so friggin' good. The crumble on top had roasted almonds, roasted almond slivers. I mean, I don't know what it is about roasting things. It just takes the flavor to a whole other level. So in the crumble was, you know, the sugar, the roasted almonds and uh, cardamom and some other things. And it was so friggin' good. And then we did the pears and butter. You do it on the stovetop and you add some cardamom there. So it's through, you know, that flavor is through everything. And then you put the pears that are in the saucepan, all the whole thing into the oven. And it is a dream, you guys. It's so good. We had that with some ice cream, just a scoop of vanilla ice cream. We still have some of that crumble left and some of the ice cream. So that crumble on top of the ice cream is just another, it's, it's so good. It's, you know, <laughs> I'm not really a big sweets person, but when it's like that delicious and unique, uh, yeah, we're all about it. I'm going to have some right after this. I hope I'm not making you hungry. And the other thing we made that we got special a special recipe for because everything else I kind of like by the book I like my you know I like my my uh, regular my mashed potatoes to be pretty standard the turkey to be pretty standard flavorful but I don't want all of that messed with and I like you know I like the um the stuffing to be pretty standard and we have the, those Hawaiian rolls which are so good I love them with some butter and all of it but we kind of went to town on the sweet potatoes we found this recipe um i think it's called harissa hasselbeck sweet potatoes and harissa is this spice i hadn't even heard of my husband found the recipe and um and it's got like it's an interesting spice i think it's i think it's indian i think it's an indian spice and it's got like hints of like ginger and paprika and 
Um, I don't know what else is going on in there, but it's really delicious. And you do that with some candied pecans and um, you take some maple syrup and butter and you boil them and just keep them from, it was just, you know, on another level. And you also, of course, you have to roast the pecans. So we were all about roasting, roasting nuts on, on Thanksgiving. <laughs> so good. So those were so, those two recipes were such a hit just so friggin' good. Um, I'm actually going to put the, for those of you who love cooking, I'm going to put the uh, recipe in the show notes, recipes for each of them. Um, and I think we found the, the pear crisp or the pear crumble one in the LA times, because my husband is one of those where people who still reads the newspaper, we still get it delivered to our place every day. And um, he reads a lot of it. So um, there's always some new recipe and um, that he wants to try. So, you know, it's a day for cooking. So we did that and it was it was just really awesome. Our guests loved, loved, loved the recipes. So for those of you who love cooking, love a new recipe and, you know, it's the holidays. These are recipes you can make all throughout the holidays. Um, just some really great flavors and and all that. So I'll have that again for you in the show notes. All right, guys. So what can I say? I'm so excited about our guest today, Lisa Hopert. I met her um, while taking the Be A Singing Teacher training program. Um, I've still got a couple weeks left of it, but I think she's such an awesome teacher. And I love the program so much um, that I just really wanted to have Lisa on the show so that you guys could learn about her and, um, you know, if you're teaching or you're thinking about teaching, this is definitely um, a program to think about. So also a thing that happened is, um, you know, we record the, we always record these things and sometimes we don't realize we're having technical difficulties. So since we're not really in the same vicinity, we recorded remotely Um and you need a strong internet connection. And the internet was not cooperating with me. <laughs> it was not, co it was just not my friend. And so some of the, the beginning of the interview was a little uh, messed up, the audio. So I'm going to tell you the first part of Lisa's journey. And then uh, we are going to pick up with the rest of it. The rest of it sounded great. So... Basically, um, Lisa grew up in Arkansas, kind of had that sort of idyllic childhood with the animals and horses and chickens and all that kind of thing. Um, at five, she started singing in the church choir. And she was uh, at one of those churches that had like some actual music education. So everybody was singing parts and learning how to read music and all of that. Um, by age eight, she started playing piano. And her teacher was none other than, and get this name, this is like one of the best names ever, one of those total uber Southern names, Hattie Mae Butterfield. Wonderful. I love it. Um, so that was her piano teacher from age eight. Um, and, you know, through school, so it was just kind of a musical life. Music was really a part of her life. It was a musical existence. Her family loved music. And... Um, 
she came up through high school learning art songs, um, was singing classical music, was doing lots of ensemble singing, found that to be more fun than solo singing, um, but did all of it. And then graduated from high school, went to college, actually was encouraged by her voice coach to minor in music and major in something else. So she would have, um, you know, that that standard thing of falling back. So she majored in psychology, but then found that she was probably going to have to get a master's in psychology to actually get work in the field. Um, so ended up going to nursing school, was still singing and all of it, did a specialty in psychiatric nursing, um, but didn't use that and ended up in neurology and um, was always fascinated by the body. Um, so we're still singing, we're nursing, we are moving to Atlanta, where she uh, was involved in opera. Apparently, they had a great opera scene at the time. So she got involved in that and was performing in the local, local opera company there. Um, and her schedule was such. She was still working as a nurse. So she would work the night shift from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. She would sleep during the day, wake up, learn her lines, um, learned the songs, would go to rehearsals in the late afternoon, early evening, and then would go to work. And that's what life looked like for about three years. So um, this is where the story um, picks up. And, um, you know, I hope you guys really enjoy the rest of this. I hope you enjoy Lisa's journey. Uh, I think it is, everyone's is so unique and so interesting. And this is definitely a unique journey. And um, without further ado, vocal coach Lisa Hopert. So after, after college, I moved to Atlanta. Mm. And that's the first big city I'd lived in. Mm. And I was enthralled. I loved it. Um, terrifying to drive, but I would just go downtown, you know, felt a little bit like the, the country hick, but I would just go downtown and look around and be like, oh, this is so cool. There's Georgia State and the Capitol, blah, blah, blah. Um, joined a church in downtown mm -hmm. Atlanta um, that had a fabulous, in fact, I call myself, or used to call myself a choir whore. That sounds terrible. But I would tend to pick my churches by who had the best choir. <laughs> So joined the church that had a really good choir. Um, mm. And in that choir, they were, um, their director was um, very associated with the National Hymnological Society, I think is what it's called. Somebody will correct that, I'm sure. Um, and we got to perform one of the first performances of a musical mm -hmm. called Singer's Glen mm. that was written by Alice Parker. And I ended up getting to sing one of the lead roles. Um, and that really helped launch me a little bit in Atlanta. Mm. Um, I just did at that point classical things and got some like B roles and different things. Mm. Um, I also ended up with a, a fabulous teacher there named Irene Calloway Harrower. And I imagine she since died. Um, and she only took really advanced opera singers, of which I was not of the category yet. Mm. Um, but I was from Arkansas, and she was from Arkansas. Mm. And I didn't know that. Um, oh. But I think 
she let me in to be one of her students simply because we were from the same place, mm. um, the same state. So I get to study with her. Um, and she took a handful of her students to Italy one summer to study there for mm. about three weeks. Mm. Um, so some opportunities like that, um, what, you know, presented themselves. I mean, it was, mm. it was amazing to do that. What was that like for you? Well, it was, the cultural experience was fabulous. I'll be really honest. The singing part was pretty terrible. Um, mm. We were supposed to study with, with a, a famous opera singer, Tito Gobi, and he died before, mm. like we had booked it and everything, and he died in the interim. Oh my gosh. And so another person taught us, and um, I, my memory of that, I think what I was all of 20, three or something like that mm -hmm. um was just of this person yelling at me in italian and i didn't know what was going on um oh no yeah <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what he's trying to get out of me um i love how again, when you don't speak a language they think talking louder in a language you don't understand is going to help you to understand what they're exactly and he would just yell and i would you know and then i would go back to the oh. to the hospital wherever we were saying goodbye uh. Um, but yeah, um, but again, got to sing some wonderful music and be in some wonderful ensembles. Mm -hmm. Um, the most terrifying experience I had, it wasn't there, but shortly thereafter, um, we did a lot of workshop type of opera things, but they were attended by lots of people, her mm -hmm. students did. And her lead soprano, um, we were singing, um, Oh my gosh, the name of it will come to me in a moment. But I was her understudy. Mm -hmm. And I was nowhere near as good as this woman was. Jeanette was just the most beautiful soprano in the world. Mm. And she was gorgeous. Our costumes wouldn't have fit each other, nothing. Mm. And it's opening night and Jeanette hasn't shown up for oh call gosh. time. And Jeanette was always on time. And 15 minutes before the show, Jeanette is still not there. Because, because I had this perception that I was so much worse than Jeanette. Like I went to all the rehearsals and I was supposed to study the blocking and all those things, but I was, didn't pay attention. Oh. I knew the music, but I didn't know where I was supposed to be on stage. I was having a fit. I was oh like, my gosh. thought I was gonna perish. Um, <laughs> because oh my <laughs> I was like, I can sing the songs, but I have no idea where I'm supposed to be in how the other actors are gonna interact with me. Like 10 minutes before Jeanette shows up. I've never been so relieved in my life. Oh my gosh. I learned a very important lesson yeah. about being prepared. Mm. Yeah. You know, kind of no matter what, even if, you know, you think there's not a chance in the world this is ever gonna happen. You know, if there's a chance, be prepared. Murphy's <laughs> law. <laughs> you know? Oh my gosh. Yeah, that that might have been my biggest lesson um, from my years with Irene. Oh. Was oh no. Oh man. I think that's really great to have that um, acting. You know, the, the theater attached to the singing, because I know for a lot, many of us singers well for some I know uh, not everybody has the same background but some of us like me don't really have the theater or acting background it's been purely 
singing and I've been, you know, I was very focused on being an artist and songwriter and um, only am now like years, decades into my journey, <laughs> seeing like the importance of, or the value in having that, you know? Yes. You know, I think there's a huge value in that for singer songwriters, mm -hmm. for backing vocalists. So at this stage in life, I'm, for quite a while, I've been a, a voice teacher and mm -hmm. I left opera. Um, and I'll just, a brief story on that, just so it makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, when I lived in Atlanta, my then husband and I, we didn't have very much money. And somehow we ended up with tickets to see the Met. The Met came to Atlanta at that mm. point um, every summer. And he was all excited. And I was like, okay, this is cool. And we went to shows. We went to like three of the operas and I fell asleep in every one of them. A little self-reflection, even at that young age, I was like, no, these are like the best singers in the world. And their voices are amazing, mm -hmm. but I'm clearly not engaged. Mm -hmm. What's the story? You know, is this right for me if I'm falling asleep when I should be mm -hmm. learning everything? Yeah. I should be fully engaged. And I was like, snoozing. <laughs> yeah. And that kind of began this self-reflection of you're just doing this because you thought that's all there was. Mm. Um, and so then you started down this path and you kept going down the path. Um, looking back at, at college, I'd taken some acting classes and loved them in and of themselves, mm -hmm. you know, without, without the music. Um, and I had messed around a little bit with musical theater. Mm -hmm. And so began to consider maybe that's what you want to do. Mm. Um, and so I did a little bit with musical theater, not a whole lot, but I did a little bit with musical theater. Mm -hmm. um, something about telling the story in English made it come alive for me in my native tongue. Right. Um, I certainly never mastered it. Well, I could speak the language correctly, but as far as really understanding the nuances of the languages we were required to sing in opera, I, don't, I didn't get there. I didn't study that hard and didn't get it and didn't do it long enough. Um, and so having that, that importance of story really has carried over into any pop or Americana mm. that I've ever sung. Um, I mean, there's a difference between being a character and an artist, but there's also not. Mm. Like when you're an artist, I think, I think that you want to be your most genuine self, but what parts do you reveal? What parts do you keep private for yourself? Mm -hmm. um, if you're singing someone else's song, how do you tell the story differently? Right. Um, why do you make the choices and emphasis and key change in um, dynamics that somebody else doesn't do? Why do you choose um, to sing a high part in a belt versus a head voice. Well, that's all part of the story. And um, storytelling is, I just think, so, so important in singing. Sure, yeah. It's the important thing. Right. How many times have I gone 
I mean, well, that was what happened in opera, I think. I went to hear these fabulous voices, but I wasn't intrigued by the story they were telling. Mm. I didn't buy it. Um, even today, I would much rather go hear any sort of singer who could sing well. They don't have to sing fabulously, but if they tell a great story, I'm hooked. Right. If they sing fabulously, but I don't sense the story, mm. I probably would fall asleep, you know? <laughs> Right. So it's kind of the same, yeah. Story, story, story. What kind of work do you feel um, in your experience needs to be done to get to that story? That's such a great question. Um, I think it's self-knowing. Mm. I really think it's self-knowing. And I think it's imagination mm. as well. How how can I imagine multiple stories of this song, of these exact same lyrics, and what rings true for me as the singer, mm -hmm. as the artist, and is what rings true something I'm willing to be vulnerable enough to convey mm. to someone else? I, you know, if it's, if it's something that I'm not ready yet to share with the world, emotionally then even it's even if it's more my truth than a less venerable story maybe it's not quite time for me to tell that story does that mm -hmm. make sense mm -hmm. yeah i think your story with a song i think you could sing the exact same lyrics in the same key with the same band at age 25 and then at 40 and then at 55 and you would tell a very different story because you've had different life experience you know artists always i think a lot of artists just the name artist, you know, people get teased about being self-reflective and, you know, belly, what is it? Belly button gazers. Um, I think it's really important mm. that that does go on so that we can be vulnerable in general and genuine mm. in our stories because then people relate to us. Right. Um, if we're vulnerable at all, and even if they can't relate to our particular story that we're singing, people relate to that openness and vulnerability. Yeah, love that. Down the hole, I went very quickly there, but yeah. <laughs> no, that's perfect, that's great. I mean, you know, I mean, nobody's going to a concert and uh, coming away from it and saying, uh, you know, just talking. No, I've never heard anybody talk about real, except maybe another singer, uh, you know, the artist's technique or whatever. It's, it's right. really like, oh, they made me feel, I had so much fun. I you know, I really felt connected and all, you know, all of it. I mean, people just want that connection and you have to, I get, I think, get there any way you can, you know, and connect with them. Yes. Yeah. That was a big takeaway for me. Um, and it's, it's a big thing as I teach singers. Mm. I, I think of a, a couple of professionals that I've worked with who have made a great career. I mean, I wouldn't change what they do at all in those ways, mm -hmm. but they're not, there's, there's psychological barriers that they still have mm. to going deep with the audience. And I think that it's, it's held them back some, mm. that their career would even be more so. Mm. And, you know, who am I to say, but but we've definitely in lessons with us folks, we've had those discussions, you know, sure. uh, about voice teaching and, you know, maybe vocalizing and all this. And yes, 
um, in order to tell the story the best possible, yeah. you definitely want to be able to do what it is you want to do with your voice. So technique's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you got to know what it is you want to do. Right. Like, ultimately, yeah. Have you found a lot of your, maybe like your more experienced singers, have you had lessons where you spend more time speaking with them than uh, vocalizing? Has that happened with yes, you? Yes, that I, does happen. I found that for me. <laughs> like help me through all of my issues. Because <laughs> I, I feel like it's, you know, a lot of it's now at this point in life, there's been a lot of time for my stuff to build up and I come into a lesson and I'm just like, listen, I know. I'm not perfect, but I, I feel like this isn't so much a technical issue as something that's going on in my head. Can we talk about A, B, and C and, you know? Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. Yeah. And there's kind of there's kind of two categories of folks with that. One is they do work hard vocally and, and, yeah. and, and they're doing their work there and then they come in and we have these deeper discussions about the meaning of life <laughs> um, or whatever it is. Um, but then there's those who use those discussions um, who will come in as a way to not confront the vocal issues. Mm. Um, and, and that's been, you know, that's, that's certainly been a growth point of mine over the years of reading that. Mm. Of, okay, the last five weeks, <laughs> okay, wanted to talk their entire lesson. <laughs> right. So briefly, we're going to have a five minute conversation about that. And then we are going to sing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's funny. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So in your journey as, um, you know, going from singing, singing to to teaching, how did that um, all evolve for you? Well, you know, I think a lot of singers experience this where you're a singer, you're singing pretty well. Mm -hmm. And okay there's another thought there but i'll get to that um so you're a singer you're singing pretty well and people say well can you teach me can you show me how you do what you do Mm. and that started to happen and people were like you know i want to i want to be able to do what you do and so i guess the first time i tried it i was probably about 35 or so and so i thought okay well yeah i'll I'll try to share with you what i do and it was just an abject teaching failure I could do it, but how do I get that person to do it? Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know. And I was like, Oh no, 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 I cannot teach. I'm so sorry. You know, that did not work out. I didn't get anything from you that I was trying to. Plus I didn't even really know what to listen for. Right. And someone that wasn't me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I tried a couple more times and I was living kind of lived all over the place. Um, so I was in Atlanta and then I ended up in Oklahoma city and then little rock. And then at 40, I moved to the San Francisco Bay area Mm. and had a two children, a 10 year old and a 14 year old. And, um, the 10 year old was interested in musical theater. I guess maybe he was 11 by the time. And he took a summer course and he brought home this, um, little syllabus about the course and his musical theater voice teacher and she talked a little bit about how she taught and the pedagogy she used and it made sense to me Mm. you know I thought I can see myself being able to use this approach and things perhaps starting to make sense Mm. or I really could help people and so he started studying with her I would take him to lessons and I would sit outside her door 
Mm. with my ear glued to the door. Finally, she said, Lisa, come in. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay with your son. And why don't you consider studying this methodology? Mm. Um, The thing that made it come alive for me was that um, it actually, the methodology actually paid attention to how the voice actually works physically and acoustically. Um, it didn't delve into it enough, looking retrospectively. But I say I can say that now that we know a lot more about vocal science than we did then. Vocal science um, has been around a long time, but it's been a little slow to develop mm. because there's not a lot of funding for it. I think funding is the main issue mm. for vocal science development. Um, so as the next 10 years kind of rolled around, we learned more and more because the science was, was being discovered more accurately. There was imaging and measuring that people were able to do that they couldn't do in the past. Mm. So it was my, my classical training. I'm sure it was based some in solid, perhaps physiology. Yes. Some acoustics, but not strongly based. So in a lot of it was honest to good God voodoo. Um, you know, as I look back on it, I was, I was told some things that are just wrong, mm-hmm. you know, and, and things that were common belief and what kind of things, uh, uh, so some of the things it was like, you want to take in a breath so big and bear down so much that it's like pushing out a baby. Well, I'm like, no, you don't. And I'm a nurse and mm. yeah, that's really just here we go again, but I'm a nurse. Remember this folks. It's just going to give you hemorrhoids, right? <laughs> this is not good. <laughs> but that, I was having that thought as I was being told that I was like, your breath should not be like that. Right. Um, or it's all about the breath. Well, I was like, well, it's not all about the breath. Right. You know, it's about many things. Hmm. Um, so that started me down this course mm-hmm. and uh, paying attention to we've always heard about resonance and we use that word in singing, but what does that really mean? And what's resonating? And there's all sorts of myths around that, Mm. you know, and so to find out that, Oh, really your main resonators in singing is your throat tube and your mouth tube. And well, then that begs the question, well, how do sound waves really work? And Mm. I somehow got out of college without physics. So Mm. there was lots of things I didn't know. Um, and came to understand. Mm. So it started this very serious study. Um, it, the other thing that was valuable to me, and it was not valuable to a lot of people in this, in this study, in fact, I think it was a detriment to some people, was that I was tested every year on my knowledge and mm. had to teach in front of other teachers. And I think that was a terrible thing for some people, but it served me well oh. um, because it kept me on my toes. Mm. Um, and then after, you know, several years ago, um, that organization somewhat fell apart, but now vocal science really is telling us what it is we need to know as singing teachers. Mm. And I had the good fortune of taking a summer vocology Institute course with Dr. Inga Tietze, mm. who is one of the leading vocal scientists, if not the one in the world, and really d- digging deep into 
vocal science into mm. anatomy. We dissected an elk larynx, you know, and mm. put weights on it to see how much the vocal folds would stretch. And wow. um, nobody hurt themselves with a the scalpel, you know, nobody killed themselves. Mm. So, <laughs> so that type of value, and then how, you know, and applying that back to teaching, which leads me back to, I never, unless my student is a teacher themselves, go to my student and use all those terms and, you know, all those scientific words. That's not what they're looking for. Right. They're looking for how can I do something that makes this particular thing happen in my voice. Mm. And I think if I, the teacher, have an understanding of the reasons those things work, I'm a more effective teacher and can get to the core of the issue, the technical issue with the client more quickly, they get their voice set up, and then that gives us the opportunity to go into the story of the song and to develop the artistry, mm. to send them out to artist developers, whatever it is they need. Mm. Um, this path also led me um, to teach in Liverpool at the Liverpool Institute for Performing Arts mm. and got to work with voice majors, which of course I never was one. Um, in a contemporary performing arts school, so no classical was taught there mm. at all. Um, it was 30-minute lessons with a whole bunch of students every week. Mm. You know, that having that type of volume in my teaching and working with talented clients was a big boost to um, grow my skills. That's great. Uh, and to become a, an, a better teacher over time, so. That's awesome. So how have your, I suppose, lessons evolved for you as far as like having a plan for, for each student, organizing the, the lesson plan and, and all of that? Yeah, that's, a, that's another great <laughs> question. You know, if you think about how people learn in general, mm -hmm. um, even though I was not a beginner vocalist i was definitely a beginner teacher right so that just puts you know what's what's it like if um let's say i'm a, a tennis player and somebody says oh you're an athlete so go play soccer am i going to be very good at that no mm. i'm gonna suck it's totally different mm. different muscle memory different brain so as a teacher i'm sure i sucked um <laughs> at the beginning and um but the lesson plan, um, because I st studied it systematically, you know, it was kind of clear from the beginning that mm. the first thing I wanted to do was get to know the client. Mm. What makes them tick? Who are they? Why did they walk through this door? Why in the world would anybody subject themselves to a voice lesson where you're singing in front of some weird stranger, you know? Mm. What? People, there's got to be a motivator there. So discovering the motivator and listening very well to what they tell me in that first lesson about that. Mm. And then while they're telling me all of that, my objective side is listening for what's going on with their voice. How are they speaking? Or am I hearing anything that's weird? Um, and then doing an assessment. Mm is weird for a lot of, of students. They expect to come in and immediately sing a song. Mm. Uh -uh. 
Okay. And so for me to tell them, oh, guess what? You're going to sing five notes up and down on a scale. They're like, oh, boring, you know, but I let them know that this is just so I can figure out more quickly mm-hmm. what's going on with their voice. They can't hide. If I have a song that's polished, I've figured out um, how to hide any of my vocal flaws by volume or changing the vowel or whatever. But just on a five-tone awe up and down the scale, there's no hiding. Mm. Um, so I get to hear what's going on fundamentally with that te- that client from the very first. Mm. Um, and after I hear that, then, you know, I have these different tools um, that I can use to help with what it is that they need help with. Um, to help them get through the break in their voice, to help them sing more strongly, whatever it is, mm. to expand their range. But it's that first five-tone awe. And then I do ask them to sing a bit of a song. So I hear what they really do in mm. the song. Um, I can hear how savvy they are. Or there are these wonderful overachievers in the world who come in and they sing the five-tone awe like they think you want them to. Mm-hmm. And then you ask him to sing a song and you're like, oh, there was a big disconnect between mm. what you hear. Tell me about that. You know, I've had the, uh, you know, the metal singer come in and sing me this, you know, ah, I'm like, eh, you tell me you sang metal. I <laughs> don't think that's what I'm going to hear on the song. <laughs> but I don't say that out loud. I'm just waiting for them to give it away, you know. So they sing what they think I want to hear. And then they go and scream their metal song. I'm like, okay. Mm. Now, you know, let's get down to what's really going on with you. Mm. Yeah, it's very fun. Um, So the lesson plan evolves with the student as well. Mm. You know, it can even evolve in that lesson. Um, The more experience I get, the quicker those quick changes were able to happen. Um, But for anyone thinking about teaching, I think one of the biggest concerns is I don't want to hurt the person, Mm. right? Um, If they have some vocal damage, whatever, I don't want to make it worse. And um, with just some proper initial training as a singing teacher, you're pretty assured, if indeed I quote proper, of course my opinion of proper but a real understanding of the voice you're not going to hurt them Mm. Um, if they leave just a little better than they came you've done great work Mm. because muscle memory is so entrained in us sensory memory so entrained in us if you just can change a little muscle memory for somebody you've made a huge difference how much time uh would you say you spend um maybe in a half hour lesson, 45 minute lesson, hour lesson on maybe the first lesson, doing an assessment, getting them through the five tone scale, then having them sing a song. If it's an hour lesson, are you planning on singing for a half hour? Like how do you, how do you feel the time? No, that's a great question. That's a great question. It's super easy to fill the time. But I did used to worry about that as a beginning teacher. I'd be like, oh my God. But the more you listen, the more you hear. Mm. Um, so for a first lesson, I'll, you know, the, if it's an hour, I'm going to spend at least, we're going to spend probably at least 10 minutes in conversation okay. because I want to get to know the motivators and um, I want to know the 
the patient, listen to me, since I'm a nurse too, sorry. <laughs> the client's goals. Um, I want to make sure those goals match reality somewhat. Mm. Um, yeah, I won't name names, but you know, I've had people come in and were like, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna be a stadium singer within three years. And I'm like, I haven't heard them sing, but from their history, I'm like, well, you say you've never sung before and you weren't raised up with music. You know, we need to talk about this. Mm. <laughs> How about we set a different first goal? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So kind of, you know, kind of see if they're on target with all of that. And then do that five-tone assessment. And from that assessment and from them maybe singing a bit of a song or even happy birthday if they're too wigged out by being in a lesson with a strange woman across the room just hear what happens in the song and then you pretty well know what branch where to head um perhaps one of the most important things to say on a podcast like this because you know i'm talking to singers perhaps more than teachers is there's one category of exercises that i hope you've heard about as a singer um called what semi-occluded vocal tracks oh, yes mm -hmm. exercise um and what vocal science has taught us in the fairly recent years is that these are just crucial mm -hmm. they are they set the vocal folds up and the voice up to be in their optimal condition and to sing with the most efficiency mm. um they're the best thing to do for a tired voice mm -hmm the best thing to do in between sets, the best thing to do <laughs> to turn around when the guitarist has the solo in your watch and the guitar player um, in your performance. Um, and the most apparently efficient one to do is to use a straw. And, and I think by now most singers have heard about vocalizing mm -hmm. through a straw. Um, so I definitely do that with all clients in all lessons mm. um, to get them set up the best possible way they can be. Mm -hmm. um, there are, all singers should go listen to these. They're available on YouTube, but um, there's one of Dr. Inga Titze, T-I-T-Z-E. Um, I think he sings the Star Spangled Banner through his song. I think that's I'm not it. sure. Yeah. I think that's it. Yeah. You should come listen to that. And then there's three other recordings that he and his daughter, who's a speech language pathologist did, that explain about this, about why it works. Um, but that should be an all singers repertoire. It's, it can be mm -hmm. truly voice saving. Mm -hmm. So we definitely do some of those. And then from there, we actually do some more vocalises and vocalises aren't always done in contemporary teaching. Um, mm -hmm. Or vocalizing, I should say, and the choice of which ones to use is totally based on what the client needs. Hmm. You know, are they needing more range or they needing more strength in a certain area of their voice? What is it they need? Um, and then after those are done sufficiently, you know, then it can be time to get into a song. But maybe the song's going to be, at least the melody is going to initially be done on the consonant and vowel sound that worked best for these that particular person that day. And the vocalizing we did, you know, and then move it into words or just work on the part of the song that's driving them nuts because two thirds of the song is fabulous for them. Mm. Um, 
So whatever it is. And with my accomplished students, you know, folks who are, are not having a particular issue that day and who have practiced and done their thing, you know, we may get to several songs um, and get to work on several songs. And that's just a total blast. Mm -hmm. and, and if they're far enough down the line, then we get to start to talk about the artistry. Mm what we started this interview with and about, okay, that was beautiful. It's technically fabulous. So tell me about your story. Mm. <laughs> you know, and what do you want different? If anything, what's, what's the reactions of your audience? Have you tested this song out amongst five or six friends and what have they said, mm. you know, about the story? So then you get to go there. And so if you've got somebody advanced enough to go all those places, you're, you know, you could do a four hour lesson. <laughs> it wouldn't be a problem. <laughs> oh, that sounds like fun to me. I love that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that just tells you how much work it is from being a beginner to, you know, going into like full on artistry. You know, yes. there's a lot, there is a lot in between that. Well, and you know that so well yourself. I mean, it's yeah. just huge. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a recreational singer, and I mean truly recreational, who's, you know, sings in the shower and um, not somebody who sings, you know, in community theater or something. I don't consider that recreational. Those folks really work hard. Yeah. But for folks who just want to sing just around for fun and, and stuff, yeah, you don't have to spend a lot of time at it and you don't have to spend a lot of time to get better. Mm -hmm. uh, you'll get better. If you spend, if you spent a consistent 30 minutes a day, 20 minutes a day, you will get better. Right. And that's not a lot of time, but man, for the artist, not only are you doing technique, you know, you were doing all this research on what informs my artistry. Right. Who, who are the singers that inform me? What did I like about that? Why was I drawn to that? Mm. Um, think you've got to do your homework and and know who your influences were and why and, and what parts of that you like what parts you want to emulate but not copy mm -hmm. and of course you can't really copy anything completely yeah. unless you unless that's your job right you, you know if your job's to be a share impersonator you better sing just like share right so, exactly yeah i mean what is it what is it you're being asked to do mm -hmm. um I think perhaps one of the hardest jobs that requires so much work and study um, are, are backing vocalists. Yep. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. I just, I don't even know how that happens. I don't, you're asked in session singers, you're asked to sing in every style, every way, mm -hmm. um, every range. Sing like a child. <laughs> <laughs> Precisely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You know, sing vibrato, sing with vibrato, sing breathy, sing belty. Yeah. Yes. Stay, just... stay on your part. Keep your own note. <laughs> don't step on anyone's right. part. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yes. I just don't even know how that happens. I just have the utmost respect for that. Yeah. Same here. You know, um, let me ask you, uh, you'd mentioned a little earlier that in contemporary, some contemporary voice lessons, um, they don't all use vocal ease in them. 
Yeah, or do vocalizing. I mean, so how does that work? So there's kind of there's three things I see happen in contemporary for contemporary singers. Mm -hmm. I either see teachers that insist that everybody study classical, Mm. uh, and I think that's a terrible mistake. Why would you make somebody do something that doesn't speak to them at all? And and I think it's from a, a long held belief that what classical has to offer is the healthiest way of singing and therefore everybody should know it. But if you're going to study classical and then you're going to go out and sing a very raucous rock, yeah, you're not going to be able to carry that over. You're yeah. going to be doing something very different. So that's one thing that happens. Okay. Another school is, well, if you're going to sing classical, really, you just need to sing the songs and we're just going to work on the songs. Hmm. And we're not go when this this happens with bad classical teachers too is you just work on the repertoire but you don't work on technique if that makes any sense yeah and i see a lot of that actually of and i make the and i think these words are so confusing but if i'm gonna if i really need to study a style because i don't fully understand the style Mm -hmm. i don't necessarily need a good technical teacher to teach me that and and I call that a coach and so language can get very confusing mm. but I remember going to a jazz coach who wasn't really a singer mostly a pianist mm. because that person could teach me jazz style mm. but if that person thinks that they're also training me up vocally versus teaching me style, then I think we can all get in some trouble mm. vocally. I think they get out of their field and the receiver of that isn't getting the vocal te- technical training that they need. Mm. So I'm getting repertoire and I'm getting understanding of style, which is essential. Right. But I'm not getting the technique. Mm. And then, uh, there's more than three categories. Of course there are. Uh, then there's the teachers who really just teach technique mm-hmm. um, and don't offer style help and um, don't have the conversations of artistry. Mm. I think that's fine as long as you know that's who you've got and that you need to fill in with other people. Right. And then someone like myself I got to make sure the technique's solid first or what's the point because they're going to blow out their voice if we don't do that. I will have the artistry conversations because I excel in that and I'm capable of doing that well. If they want to go into an advanced style that I'm not well enough versed in, I send them off to somebody else for that. Mm. So if somebody wants to be a jazz singer and they're not already a jazz singer and really good at it, it's the style. I don't pretend to teach jazz style, especially mm. to, to more than a very basic beginner. I will teach a very basic beginner or I will teach somebody who's already a jazz artist, has their style down, but I'm not teaching them jazz style. I'm teaching them the technique. Mm. So I think we have to be willing to share our clients to have a large list of teammates. Mm. Okay. You know, when I lived in Nashville, there was a, is a fabulous teacher who teaches out of the same school that I 
to that went to the Somerville College Institute, but her background is jazz. And I would get somebody who wanted to go deep into jazz. I'd be like, you don't, you don't need to study with me. <laughs> Let me send you to my friend Liz, who can give you almost everything I can give you. And she knows jazz. Mm. So, yeah. Tell us about your, um, your studio in Nashville and also um, the BAST training um, that we met through. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So I just recently moved to back to the San Francisco Bay Area mm -hmm. where I spent years in 97 to 2007. And the interim of all the travel after that, I ended up in Nashville. Um, I wanted to go where all the musicians were. And um, man, Nashville is a hopping city now. And, and it's always been a music center, but even more so now. And it's not just country. In fact, I have I had very few country clients, maybe like two. Really? They were everything else. Mm. Yeah. So there's many things there. And so when I first arrived in Nashville, I didn't really know anybody. And this lovely woman who I had, she taught songwriting at a conference at which I had taught voice, mm -hmm. invited me to share her studio space when I first got there. Mm. I was like, what? And the price was right. And so I started there and then Nashville's changing rapidly and music row is changing rapidly mm. and many buildings are being torn down mm. and our building was sold oh, no. and we got the eviction notice. We knew it was coming mm. and she wanted to stay in music row and I was done. And so I went to a wonderful area of Nashville called Berry Hill and found a building, a thousand square foot bungalow, bought that sucker and had no one to teach with me <laughs> and i was not gonna be able to pay the mortgage on it mm. and this young man showed up on my doorstep from atlanta and he said i want to teach and i said okay can you help me build a studio literally like put furniture together build the studio oh. <laughs> as well as teach and he did and nice. so we embarked and then just over time made relationships in the community and other teachers wanted to rent space mm. and so it ended up um currently there's eight teachers teaching out of that space um nice yeah yeah and so i would teach there like three days a week and other teachers would rent for different days so it was a wonderful wonderful place next to studios and publishing houses and a massage wonderful massage place next door i could send my clients to for laryngeal massage that was great mm. um, and it's very funky fun part of town so that was just a huge gift mm. um and then it came time to move here and so that studio still goes on it's called shameless singing and i supervise it from afar mm. um and not sure you know what the future will hold with that but those teachers are all doing fabulously there the be a singing teacher training course which is what fast be a singing teacher uh it came into being, it was founded by a woman named Lynn Hilton, L-I-N-E, Lynn Hilton, who um, lives outside of London. And she and I got to know each other through um, Speech Level Singing, which was that first organization I referred to. Um, neither she or I are part of that anymore. Um, but years and years ago, we got to know each other. And then when I lived in Liverpool, um, I got to know her better because I got to spend more time in England. Um, and as I was preparing to come back to the United States, mm -hmm. 
um, she had this vision of developing a singing teacher training course and she developed the core content of it. Um, she herself is also a nurse like I am. We both have master's degrees in nursing as well as our singing teachers. Mm. Um, so her propensity for feeling the need to understand the physiology and acoustics and all that was similar. Mm. And she invited um, four of us, four other people to be trainers. Mm. And I guess this must have been six years ago or so. Mm. My dates get all confused. And we agreed and she taught us the course and we go out and teach the course. Um, I'm the only person in the United States who teaches mm. uh, be a singing teacher course. What other countries? So the other teachers, three of them live in the UK and one lives in Australia. Okay. But we now teach, or at least I don't even teach any live courses anymore. I teach them all over the internet, um, actually using Zoom. Mm -hmm. And it's just the way we are today. And that way, anyone from anywhere can study. So I've had people in China, the Caribbean, mm. um, Africa, people from all over mm. study. Um, it's a 20-hour course. Um, so it requires a fair amount of commitment. You could do the supplemental information for years. But it's truly designed for was originally designed for absolute beginning singing teachers. What we found is that it also works well for other teachers, teachers who've been teaching for years, mm -hmm. don't have the acoustical and physiological background mm -hmm. and then they add that to their teaching. So we teach that. Um, I taught a hundred at least, more than a hundred, a couple of 300 people, I think through the BAS course um, mm. over the years, maybe a couple hundred, I don't know. Um, but it's super gratifying to um, work with folks who want to be better teachers mm. um, or who want to launch teaching. And then many of them I stay in relationship with. So, mm. yeah. So I sound like I'm plugging it. I am plugging it. Oh, but I feel okay about it uh, because oh. I didn't develop it. It's not mine. She did a great job. <laughs> oh, I, I would love everybody to, you know, I want everybody to know about it. Um, I think, yeah. you know, I'm taking it myself. I've got a couple weeks left and I think it's a wonderful program. And, um, you know, I feel, certainly feel better equipped to, um, to teach. So, you know, I'm certainly grateful it, it exists. It's great. And I, you know, I love your teaching style and, um, you know, I love that you kind of meet us. It's a small class. There's three of, three of us and you just kind of, we have, we've got that one-on-one -on -one attention and you kind of just meet us where we're at. I think we're all kind of, we're all beginning teachers. So, um, you know, you're just kind of meeting us there, which I think is great. No, it's so much fun. Yeah. And, and one of the funnest, is that a word? Most fun. Sure. One of the most fun things I do. <laughs> One of the most fun things I do. Wow. Um, and I love teaching teachers in general. I just, mm. you know, it, it opens up the conversation um, in very different ways because most people I teach are also or have been, if they're not currently, some sort of artist or performer themselves. Right. So it's this great gift to me, I feel. I feel like I get way more out of it than I even actually give. Um, mm. and, you know, what better can you do when there's something like that? Yeah. 
And having taught for, for so long, do you still do any performing or do you have any desire to do any? Currently, I don't do any. Mm -hmm. um, having just moved yet again. Um, I'm not sure I have any desire anymore to do much. Mm. Now, I promise you, I will say that. And, you know, in two weeks, something will come up and I'll be like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <The> it happens. <laughs> so, right now, I feel like my life is wonderfully full. And, yeah. you know, I'm 62 years old. Mm -hmm. um, and there's things, I mean, we could go down this path. I won't go far. But there's things that happen to the voice. I mean, you, you hear the older artists who've been very, very famous and you mm -hmm. listen to their recordings at 30 and at 60, they're different. That doesn't mean they're worse, right? but they are different. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think I'm really happy as is. That doesn't mean that I don't sing, yeah. but as far as performing, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's a lot of hard work. It's, a, it's its own thing. <laughs> it is its own thing. I got to say, well, thank you so much for this. This has been really awesome. I would, you know, uh, I guess my last question for you is what, uh, what advice do you have for teachers in general, you know, who are looking to either begin teaching or maybe these are two separate things, but begin teaching or, you know, kind of expand uh, their teaching and grow in that way. Okay. You know, I think it depends on who you are and where you are. I, here I go trying to categorize things again, um, which is always a little unsafe, but I think teachers um, either feel like they specialize in developing the artist as an artist. Mm. Um, I think there's that category of teacher is the person who really can, can get in there with somebody else, understand where they're coming from, help that person feel safe and help that person become even more themselves. Mm. Um, there are teachers, this is just categories. There are teachers who are great at teaching technique and there are teachers who are great at connecting artists with where they need to go mm. and all the connections. I think you need to know yourself and look at what you do best mm. and then what do you need more of? Mm. In fact, this is my first question for, for my artists is what do you need more of in your singing? What is, or what do you want more of? Or even a better question for a developed artist, what do you want more of for your artistry? Mm. I think teachers need to ask that question too. What do I need more of? Mm. So maybe I'm already good at connecting with people and hearing their stories and help them tell their stories. But if I'm honest with myself, maybe I don't really know enough about technique and how the voice works. Mm. Yeah. Um, so you need to go get that. Or if you're a great technician and you can't get in there though and really understand where it is your artist wants to go or needs to go, then I think you need to develop some more of that mm. in your life. If you're not connected into the artistic world to be able to send your people to other places where they need to go, um, or e even your local community, you know, if therapy is going to help your client, you know, do you know some really good therapists that work well with artists? Right. I mean, even that. So, you know, what is it you need more of as a teacher and go get that. Mm. I love it. Yeah, so that would, be, that would be my advice. That's great. Lisa, thank you. This has been really wonderful. Really a lot of fun. Yeah.
Yeah. It's been a joy speaking with you and a yeah. joy getting to know you a little bit more even. Thank you. Oh, and where can we find you online? You can find me at two places. Oh, no, just one place. At Shameless Singing. Shameless Singing. That's a lot of S's in the middle. Dot com. So that's where you find me. Great. Oh, the website for the um, Become a Singing Teacher? Yes. So it's BAST, B-A-S-T, training.org. Wonderful. So basttraining.org. And you can find out what's going on there for the teacher training courses. There's also um, an online community for folks who haven't taken the training course as well. So, so you can find all that information there. Awesome. Perfect. And they have a podcast too, which I've been listening to. So that's been really interesting. Yes. <laughs> yes. Wonderful. Okay, great. Thank you so much again. Appreciate it. You're welcome. <laughs> it's been a joy. Great, guys. So I hope you enjoyed that. Let's get into the singing lessons. Number one, we need to be vulnerable in our storytelling because then people can relate to us. People relate to that openness and that vulnerability. Number two, get to know your client and what makes them tick. What is their motivator for taking lessons? Number three, the lesson plan evolves with the student. Mm. Number four, with some proper initial training as a teacher, you're pretty assured you're not going to hurt their voice. If they leave just a little bit better than they came, you've done great work. Number five, muscle memory is so trained in us. If you can change just a little muscle memory for somebody, you've made a huge difference. Number six, we have to be willing to share our clients to have a long list of teammates. Number seven, as a teacher, you need to know yourself, what you do best, and what you need more of. Well, guys, I hope that you got a lot out of that. I hope you enjoyed that. I certainly did. Um, I thought it was amazing. Um, and it's just such down-to-earth advice. You know, these are things that I hadn't... Um, there are a lot of things that I wasn't aware of, you know, just in having these conversations with different vo vocal coaches on the show. I've been you know, so enlightened. Um, and that was kind of the point for me, just to get a little more enlightened myself and then to share that with other people because you know as soon as I get some new information I love to share it I want everybody to know about it so I really hope that you guys enjoyed that and got a ton out of it and please uh, go into the show notes to get links to the things that we talked about if there is something you can't find please let me know email me at hi hi at the working singer podcast.com let me know and I'll send it to you so what else have we got? We have a Working Singer podcast holiday event, December 14th. That's on a Saturday at 2 p.m. here in Calabasas, California. So if you would like to join in on that, uh, become a member of the Facebook group community. And all the info is there um, because it's also a potluck and, you know, everybody's so We've got so many talented cooks. Here I go with food again. I think I'm hungry. It's almost dinner time. <laughs> but we've got so many talented cooks and, and stuff, and it's just so fun to get together and see what everybody can do, even if you just bring a bag of chips. If that's your specialty, then hey, whatever. Um, but yeah, you want to get in on that event, please, the best way is to get into the Facebook group, become a member, um, go into Facebook, 
into your search, type in the Working Singer Podcast community, ask to join, and I will approve you. And so we've got some great listener wins this week. So in the Facebook group, I like to ask you what your win of the week is. And we got a lot of responses. Um, Sandra says she sold out at Jazzville in Palm Springs and worked with the best band ever. So that is awesome. Always nice to have a show that a lot of people are at and everybody's enjoying it. That is a fun thing. And Palm Springs, I love Palm Springs. That's a great place to play. Um, Karen says she performed to a full house at the Gardenia Restaurant and Lounge. That's here in Hollywood. Very cool venue. Uh, very popular for jazz artists to play at. So that is awesome. Congrats, Karen. Maya says she finally got paid. Very nice, Maya. I know that you like to get that money. So <laughs> if you guys don't know Maya, Maya was on the show a couple of weeks ago and she talked about her experience uh, being a contestant on The Voice. And, you know, I'd been uh, curious about that experience for a while. I wasn't sure exactly how it worked. I did audition and um, it didn't get very far. But, um, you know, I was curious. I knew that it involved being sequestered and, you know, I mean, whatever. You know, there, there's a lot of uh, stuff that goes on behind the scenes that we are not aware of, have no control over, and probably wouldn't understand unless we're in it. So, but that was a very interesting, fascinating interview, and it really opened my eyes up to some things. So if you didn't hear Maya Sykes' interview, um, check it out. It was just a couple weeks ago. Um, Helen says, I changed my guitar strings. It was overdue. Finally practiced again, old songs, and started to make plans for releases next year. Love it always exciting you know when I was playing guitar more changing my guitar strings was like a new lease on life I swear it was just an ex it was just a nice thing to get fresh strings on there that always that was always a nice nice thing sometimes I would be lax about it but I was pretty good about changing my strings I was pretty on top of it um but that's always a nice thing Aubrey says I hit a note I haven't hit in years don't you love that that's so exciting I love that um, oh, and Kitten. Oh my gosh. Kitten was a guest on the show earlier this year. Kitten Karoy. Kitten says she got nominated for a Grammy. Holy moly. Didn't see that coming. So congrats, Kitten. That is exciting. Um, Kitten's been working with Elvis Costello uh, for the past few years. So she is on that project and has been involved in that project. Um, she recorded with him, has been touring with him and the project that she was involved in got nominated for a Grammy. And so did she. So that is really, really cool. Very exciting. It's just, you know, a feather in everybody's cap when one of us has a big win like that. So it's really exciting. Love it, you guys. So keep, keep them coming with the listener wins. And like I said earlier, join the Facebook group, go into your search, uh, type in the Working Singer Podcast community, and I will approve you. Um, follow, me on, follow me on Instagram. Um, you can follow me at Jamila Ford Music, and also now the podcast has a Instagram page. Um, you can follow that there at the Working Singer Podcast. That's on Instagram. And DM me. I answer my messages. I always love to hear from you guys. 
um, what you think about the show, anybody that you would love to hear interviewed on the show, um, what you'd like to hear more of, um, anything that we haven't covered, please let me know. I would love to get into it. And of course, if you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes, please share them with your friends. It's so important, I think, that this information gets out to other singers. I know for a while I was in the dark about a lot of this stuff myself, so it's been a big eye-opener for me, so I'm sure it will be for other people, um, other singers. So please share with your friends and subscribe so you do not miss a single episode. We've got some really cool ones coming up and just such a great variety of guests, unique experiences, unique experiences, and I love that. I love it so much. So that's about it for this week, you guys. I'm about to do another interview with another fantastic guest you'll be hearing about soon. So I'm going to sign off, but I really hope that you enjoyed your week. I hope you enjoy next week. I hope that you are taking time to take care of yourself during these holidays. Um, you know, our, our episode last week was about singer self-care. One thing I meant to mention to you guys, um, you know, Whatever you're into, it's so important to, especially around this time of year, we can get so stressed out with obligations and, um, you know, a lot of the obligations I've found over the years are not necessarily things I want to agree to, I'll just say. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. But, you know, it's I think it's an empowering thing to just kind of sit down and maybe make a decision about things that stress you out, you know, identifying those things, pinpointing those things, and maybe just stop agreeing to them, you know. Um, I did, and it was a very simple process, I gotta say, and um, it has taken a load off, and I think one big thing is, uh, there have been a lot of big things, but I think one thing, if you're into it, um, has been meditation, has just been uh, kind of looking at those thoughts and realizing that I do not have to chain myself to them. Um, and, you know, we talked about that on the show last week. There's a lot of ways we can take care of ourselves. That's one. I've, I've used a few different apps because I'm kind of a beginner at meditation. I was chanting for years and decided I wanted to try some meditating and, and see, you know, what I get out of that, how... Um, how what life looks like doing that type of thing getting more into studying mindfulness and kind of the pathways of the mind and but I like insight timer that's a great one I like um, I've been using that lately um, there's a good variety of meditations with that and another one that I really like is headspace um, certainly if you're a beginner meditator um, I really like that one. That one kind of enlightened me on what meditation is, what it really is. And it's not about stopping your thoughts. It's really about not, like I said, being chained to them, not over-identifying with everything that pops into your head and um, making a little more, making your life a little more sane. You know what I mean? So, you know, I hope that is a good resource for you. I'll, I'll include those uh, links to those things in the show notes as well because you know I just think it's a, a good time of year to kind of assess how the year went how you'd like next year to go and other ways that we can take care of ourselves as not only singers but human beings you know 
So guys, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I love spending time with you this week. I love you. I appreciate you. And I will talk to you again next week.